Welcome to the gathering at Adel. Thank you for joining us today. We are continuing our series titled Revival. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and also Exodus chapter 34. We live in a new covenant, one that is unveiled and unfading. Man, what a, what a glorious time to be alive, to be on the earth. Like we are truly believing, and we say it quite often because we, we believe it to be true. We believe that the Lord has called us to this, that, that there's a revival that is happening. And, yeah. and I think what's hard sometimes about revival is, is that we think that it has to look a certain way or because of the past or because of our history, our, our traditions, that we think, man, what is he talking about? There like, there's not a revival. Where are we meeting every night of the week? Where, where's the evangelist that's come in traveling around to stir it up in us? Like, where is that happening? And I think what happens is we have this idea of revival. And we think that it has to happen out here, out there, out there before we see it. But, but for revival to come, it has to happen here first. Like we desire revival out here where they're singing and dancing and clapping and jumping and healings and signs and wonders and miracles. And it's like, man, that was great. But yet before it's going to happen here, which then will happen out there, it has to happen here. And that's a lot more difficult. It's not as fun to have revival in here as it is out there because what's happening is the Lord has to transform us. He has to discipline us. He has to teach us. He has to dispel the lies of the enemy in us. The way and the things that we've always done because we've always done it, the Lord is saying, hey, that's wrong. I, I know you believe that, but that's wrong. I know this is your go-to reaction, but that's wrong. And so for revival to take, take place out there, it first has to take place in here. Like, it will not happen out here until it begins to happen in here and there and there and there and there. And then we come together and it's like, man, that was Revival. It's like, well, well, yeah, because we're all experiencing it ourselves. And we started on this message last week, and it, it starts with hearts transformed. It starts with hearts being surrendered to him. And, and the difference, we looked at that between uh, heart transformed and behavior modification. That, that we would like behavior modification above hearts being transformed. Because we can handle that. We can do that. But the problem with behavior modification is it's always short term. And so, you know, me being up here, please do not hold me in any high self, any esteem of any manner. I'm just one of you struggling, probably worse than all of y'all. And so I just want you to know, like, that is a, a hard thing for me is behavior modification because I try and try and try and I can do it for a little bit, but then I go fall back into my ways. And so I'm really praying for a heart transformation for me, for a difference in that. And so... The second message in our revival message is unveiled faces. Revival is hearts transformed, faces unveiled, and then the last one in our series will be, uh, man, I knew I shouldn't have gone there because then I'll forget it, renewed minds. That, that, that's the definition of revival, hearts transformed, unveiled faces, and renewed minds. And today we're looking at Unveiled faces. If you are on our texting uh, 
thing, service, then you got a, a message this week that talked to you about reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and Exodus 34. If you did not get that and you would like to get it, there are some connect cards maybe in front of you somewhere, but if not, they're out in the foyer. That's, we, we don't really spam you or sell your information to people. It's just to get on a reading plan with us so that when we come together, it's not like, Oh, this is the first time I've heard this, you know, and so to allow the Lord to begin to speak into you. So we're going to turn, if you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 18. It's a little bit lengthy, but we're going to read it because it's beneficial. If you don't have your Bible, there might be one in a row in front of you or in a seat behind you. If not, Miss Julia will have it up on the screen. Thank you, Julia, for serving back there to make that possible. All right, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory... The ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, this is verse 12, since then we have such a, hot, such a hope. We act with great boldness. We are not like Moses who used to pull a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is, it is set aside only in Christ. Yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. I, I think it's interesting because it says that the law... That Moses had, I think sometimes, probably I'm guilty of it too, that, that sometimes we can look down on the law because of what it brought. It, it was a ministry of death. It was a covenant of death that pointed us to the need for Jesus. But yet, Paul says, but yet it was glorious. Like we get down on the law. Man, 613 commands from God. Like there's no way we can do it. You're right. But the law was glorious. And so it's talking about Moses with a veil over his face. That might be a new uh, concept to you guys. So if y'all want to turn, if it's new, this might be hard to turn. But Exodus chapter 34. So the second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read a couple of verses and then just kind of break these down and see what it has for us. Exodus chapter 34. We're going to read verses 29 through the end of the chapter, which is 35. Starting in 29, it says, As Moses descended from Mount Sinai, with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin on his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. 
But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites that he, what he had been commanded. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with the Lord. This is a, this is a story of the, a picture of the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, Moses' face would radiate. But it was only for Moses. Nobody else's face would shine. And it was only for a limited time. The word says in, in Exodus 34, it says in 2 Corinthians that, that Moses would speak to the people and then he would put a veil over his face. He put a veil over his face until the ending of the radiant. And then he would go back to the tent of meeting and meet with him. But it faded away. And he put the veil over his face, not so that they couldn't see his radiant face, so they couldn't see his fading face. And it was only from a certain place. You see that Moses' face would shine when he met with the Lord, but he met with the Lord, it was on Mount Sinai. And then after that, it was in the tent of meeting that they set up outside of the camp. You see, so, so the old covenant, the veil was only for Moses. It was only for a limited amount of time. And it was only from a certain place. But it says that that was glorious. But what was once glorious is no longer glorious compared to the glory that we have. We, we, we are members of the new covenant. And now all of our faces can shine. All of our faces can radiate the glory of the Lord. It's not, it's not just left aside for pastors and elders and, and leadership. It's not one tribe from one nation, from one people. It's all people. Like, like we all have. Nothing separates us from him again. It's not, oh, you go up to the mountain and you come back and tell us what it is. Like, like we've confused this where it's like, hey, I'm going to go to the mountain this week and I'll come back and I'll tell you what he says. Nope. Y'all all have the ability and all have it in your DNA to radiate the glory of the Lord. All I'm coming to do together is to just encourage you to keep going. It's not, hey, I've said it, I've been with the Lord and here it is and this, no. I'm just like you. I, I just get to come here and cheer you on and say, hey, great job this week. Keep going. Not only is it that, but it's unlimited. Our faces don't have to fade away. We don't have to no longer be radiant. And what else I love about it, it's everywhere. You're not limited to a certain place that you have to go and meet, meet with the Lord. It's for all of us, forever, for everywhere. The new covenant is a covenant of unveiling and unfading. You see, revival always takes place in the absence of religion. We're, we're asking for revival to take place, and revival is present in the absence of religion. Religion says, y'all need to come hear what I have to say. Religion says, come here 
to this place. Not all the other ones in Parker County. Come to this place and hear what I have to say because I've been with the Lord and I'm going to tell you exactly what he says and you do exactly as I say. That's religion. Religion puts me on a pedestal. Religion says he has greater access to the Father than you do. And that is wrong. That will never cause revival. You can have the best pastor up here. You can have the best communicator, evangelist, and it can be void of the Spirit of God. It can be void of revival because it's not about a person anymore, but it's about a people, a royal nation, a chosen. Like y'all are all priests now. Like, like it's not, oh man, I don't know if I can step into there. Absolutely you can. And it is not, it is not to just one place. There was a tent of meeting and the Lord set it up and it was glorious. But now you do not need a temple. Now you do not need this church. You can meet him outside of these walls and it will be even more glorious than when Moses met with him in the tent of meeting. It will be even more glorious than when the one priest went behind the veil one time a year. And it doesn't have to fade. Like, like I think we orient our churches... Like, like why, I, and I would love to find out, this is me thinking, why did we go to a Wednesday night service? Not us now, so don't come Wednesday night. But why did the church as a whole go to a Wednesday night service? My thinking is because we thought, man, I just don't know if I can trust you out there for six days. Why don't you come back here? It's going to fade if you go out to the world. You need to come back here on Wednesday Get a midweek pep talk, a midweek re-radiating of your face. We've oriented our schedule because religion doesn't trust you to be out in the world that long. You need to come back to Wednesday night so that we make sure that you're okay. Because we've got what's right right here. And religion, you can, have, you can have Sunday morning, you can have Sunday night, you can have Wednesday night, you can have kids, you can have youth, you can have house churches, men's, women's Bible studies, you can have all of that, and you can be dead inside of you. Because all of those programs, all of those things do not produce revival. What produces revival is unveiled faces. Revival is always present in the absence of religion. We begin to look at it's for everyone. Unveiled faces in revival is for everyone that's in this room. It's actually for everyone that's not in this room. Jesus is on the cross. Some of his last words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Before he breathed his last breath, it says that he said it is finished. And in that moment where he gave his spirit up to the Lord, it says that an earthquake shook. And it says that, that the veil or the curtain at the temple was torn from top to bottom. And, and honestly, if you begin to look into that a little bit more, there, there were actually three curtains, three veils in the temple. The first one was just to be able to go into the compound, into the temple itself. There, that separated the rest of it from the outer courts. There was, there was a curtain that was 30 feet tall by 40 feet long, and it was supported by four columns, and, and it was like four inches thick. You went into there, then you were in the outer courts, then you had you know, the 
court of the Gentiles, then you had the court of the men, court of, or court of the woman, court of the men, all of this, it doesn't matter. But you would go back in, and then in the middle there was this place, right? And it was called the Holy of Holies. But even before then, you, you had another curtain that would separate that from, before you got into the Holy of Holies, there was a place called the most holy place. And that, that's where you would bring your sacrifices, and the priests would offer their sacrifices, and they would be in the most holy place. And there was a curtain there that, that they say was 60 feet tall. And then one more curtain, and there was a curtain that went into the, the holy of holies. And, and so there were three curtains, and, and it says that the veil tore, that the, court, that the curtain tore when he gave up his last breath and, and they, they don't really specify which one it is. But it doesn't matter. Because the veil, the curtain, was separation from man and God. Like, like we have the, the ability to have unveiled faces, to see him rightly, to never be separated again from him. Because of Jesus' blood. And, and, and you go into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it is. And it talks about that. We can now draw near to him boldly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then that we have a high priest, right? We used to have a high priest. Now we have one high priest who has been in our shoes. He's, he's walked this walk and he was without sin. And he says, because of him, you can go. And actually it says, I think, I think it's in Hebrews. Hebrews it says, and that veil, that curtain, do you know what it is now? Somebody knows, where's Mary Ann? She, she would have she got to beat all of y'all before this. Right? The veil now is his flesh. What used to separate us from God is now what brings us near to him. The curtain in the veil is now his flesh. And then it even goes on in, he, uh, in uh, Ephesians. And he talks about, hey, this is for everybody. We can all approach his throne. By the blood of Jesus. And you know what it called the veil? In Ephesians chapter 2 it says it is a wall of hostility. Because it separated man from God. And because of Jesus' blood the veil was torn. Now it's not just for them. But it's for all people. It's for all of us in here. We all have the ability. Like we want our faces to shine. To radiate the glory of God. You now have the ability to do it. There, there's no separation any longer. The excuse is no longer, well, I'm a Gentile. Oh, well, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not a priest. I'm not a Levite. I can't go in there. There's no more excuses. He removed every excuse that you could ever think of. And he said, the veil now is the flesh of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to the Father is through him. I'm glad I'm the only one excited about that. That's freaking awesome. Whatever. I mean, for Moses, it was for a limited time. Yep. Like, Moses met with him face to face. He went into the tent of meeting where the, housed the presence of God. And his face would radiate, but yet it was fading. We live in a covenant that is unfading. I mean, I don't know who y'all are, but y'all ain't Moses. I ain't Moses, but yet his face faded and mine doesn't have to. He would have to go back into the tent of meeting to meet with God. 
We don't have to go anywhere. He is in us. Like the temple, we don't have to go to the temple anymore. We are the temple. He is in us. He is around us. He is within us. And you see, the law put the veil over their faces. But when we come to Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that the veil is removed and we receive his spirit. Why is it unfading and it's unlimited? Because by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have freedom because that veil has been removed and now we have unlimited access to our Father. I think so many times we, we think of that word like where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Man, I have the freedom to do this and I have the freedom to do that and I have the freedom. I can raise my hands, I can jump, I can sing, I can shout, I can sit down, I can do this or that. That's not what it is. It says where the, freedom of the, Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It says that you are a bondage a bond servant to sin. You are a slave to sin, but where the spirit of the Lord is, the veil has been torn and we have been given the spirit of God. And so now no longer are we bound to sin. We are free from sin, from the, from the entanglement of sin, from the punishment of sin. We are free from all of that because of Jesus Christ. Like it's unlimited. Why is it unlimited? Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't have to go see him. We don't have to go seek after him. We don't have to go find him. He is right here. He is within me. Jesus said, it is better for me to go away so that I could leave you the Holy Spirit. He is better for you. Jesus' words. It is unlimited. It is unfading because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He says, I will give you rivers of living water if you drink from my well, you will never thirst again. That means unlimited. You will never thirst again. We are free from the rules and the regulations of the law and of religion. He was the pure and perfect sacrifice. Why is it unfading? Because his mercies are new. Every morning, but even then, as soon as I confess it's done, it's gone. It's already been paid for anyways. That's why it can't fade. Jesus said it's finished. It's for everywhere. We have a God that is living and a personally present. He says right here, now if the ministry that brought death chiseled in letters on stones came with glory. God is no longer chiseled on stones. He's living. He's personally present. He's everywhere. Yet he's ever present. He's all over the place, but yet he's right there where you are. He is all around you. We're no longer bound. He is no longer bound to the confines of a temple. You don't have to go looking and searching for him. He is here. You can meet him, see him, hear him, feel him, touch him, wherever you are. Like, like this, like we're talking revival. Like how, how does this spark revival in our lives? Because now we have unlimited access to the Father. You don't have to go looking for him. You don't have to go searching for him. He is within you. And it says that we come through here. He says, yet still today, verse 15. Let's go 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are transformed. That's what revival is, being transformed. Transformed, this Greek word, it's it's where we get our, our word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, y'all all know. I don't have to explain it to you. Hopefully, that maybe some of y'all. But, you know, like Evelyn, she doesn't understand it yet. But it's changing from one form to another. Actually, the, the, in the dictionary, it, provide, it says that it's changing from an immature form to an adult form. So to be transformed into the image of the Father means that we're being transformed from being immature to being mature. It goes against the behavior modification because we want to just try to be better than what we were. We want to try to be better for longer than we were before. And this is saying you you can't be better. Good is never good enough. You have to change form. The caterpillar has to become a butterfly. It can't just become a better caterpillar and be able to fly. It can't just, a tadpole becomes a frog. Like it, it metamorphoses something. There's probably a better word, (laughs) you know, right? But it changes forms. It becomes something that it wasn't. And so many times we try to, you know, as Sarah Palin put, made it so famous, lipstick on a pig, right? We try to just become something better than we are now. We don't necessarily want to become that much different, but we just want to become better than you, (laughs) you know? Like, I don't want to become that person. I just want to be better than you. And, and it's okay that I'm not you better than you because I'm better than you, you, and you. We want, to, we want enough behavior modification to where we can justify ourselves and feel good about ourselves without actually having to have unveiled faces and see him for who he really is. But to be transformed, man. Look, look at John, John chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you a story. You can read it later to fact check me. That's cool. But there was a man that was born blind. And the disciples came upon him and they said, hey, Jesus, this man, he, who sinned, him or his parents, to make him blind? And Jesus said, hey, nobody sinned. This is all for the glory of the Lord. And, and Jesus spits on the ground, takes mud, puts it in his eye hole, and he says, hey, I want you to go wash yourself in the pool. The man goes and washes himself, and he comes back, and he, like, I think that's what's so hard to understand. Can you imagine being in that place? He was blind. He comes back, and they're like, who's that dude? Oh, that, that's the man that Jesus healed. They, nah, it looks like him, but it's not him. He, he changed in one encounter with God that he was unrecognizable to the people that were just around him. The caterpillar becomes a butterfly and is unrecognizable. No one would be able to say, oh, yeah, that was my caterpillar right there. That's the one. There he is. No, you're like, I don't know which one it is. He said, hey, go. this is weird. I want you to go talk to the Pharisees. They need to look at this. So the Pharisees said, hey, man, hey the guy that did this, what did he do? Ah, he spit on the ground, told me, okay. He did this on a Sunday, though, right? On Sabbath? Yeah. He said, oh, man, that's bad. He goes, well, I don't know if it's bad or not, but I was blind, but now I see. 
And he says, hey, I want you to go talk to his parents. Let's, let's figure this thing out. So they go to his parents, and his parents are like, hey, is this, was this, is this your son? Was he blind? And they're like, he's of age, you can ask him. And they said, tell it to me again. He said, I've already told you, but you don't believe. We are to encounter him in such a way that, that we are changed into another form. That people no longer recognize us because the us that they knew is no longer the us that we are. Might have to listen to that one once or twice on the podcast. I'm still working on that one in my head. The us that they knew is no longer the us that we are. Took a, took a couple of times. How? How are we transformed? It says right here that we, are, we all with unveiled faces are looking in as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image. We are transformed by looking in a mirror at the same image and we're transformed from glory to glory. Like, so let me, get you, let me get this picture as if I haven't said enough confusing things today already. But we are transformed by looking in a mirror and in the, in the mirror that we see, it is actually the image of our creator. So I'm here, and I'm looking at a mirror, and it's the image of my creator. And then now it changes me into that image because we are made into the image of God. And it says that we are transformed, that we are being transformed into the same image. So how are we transformed? We quit looking at ourselves. And we begin to look at him. But what's interesting is we don't have to look at him. He's far away. He's right here in a mirror in front of our face. And when we see him, that's what transforms us. Not putting the Dr. Peppers down. Not unfollowing all the social media people. Not doing all the things. It's looking at him and him alone. And when you look at him and the glory of him, it will transform you into the image of the Father. Because it says you are being transformed from glory to glory. And for too long we've been talking about being transformed from glory to glory means that we never have a bad day. That we are transformed from glory to glory, from high moment to high moment to high moment to high moment. But it's wrong. You can have bad days in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't mean that you don't fulfill this verse. But what it's saying is that I am transformed from glory, which is his glory, into glory which is the righteousness of God. Yes. We are being transformed from glory to glory. Yes. You're going to have to think about this this week. I just been racking my brain. We are transformed because we look at him in the image, in the mirror, into the image of the creator, and, that, and then we become that person. And we are transformed from his glory into the glory, which is the glory of the new covenant, is that we are the righteousness of God. We are transformed from glory to glory. The glory is that we are made in the image of the Father. And as soon as you see your Father, your Creator, and as soon as you become that person, that's, that's how with unveiled faces. That's what revival looks like. Getting a better picture of Him that then transforms us into that better picture. There's a story, he, he's kind of gone, gone off the rails a little bit, but Jim Carrey, I listened to an interview on, about Jim Carrey, and Jim Carrey said that when he was really young, a teenager, he, he would stand in front of a mirror, and uh, 
he would just begin to, and he, he says that this is not like, ooh, Jeff, Jeff stamps of approval of this method. But Jim Carrey would say, he would stand in front of a, a, of a mirror and he would manifest his destiny. You know, like he, he's this waiter trying to make his way in Hollywood, but he would stand in front of a mirror and he would manifest his destiny about, of things that are going to come. And he would practice his routine in front of a mirror, and he would do all the funny faces and voices and all of that. But then he would begin to speak into his life on this is going to happen. And, and that's a secular, secular example. But I think so many times we're out there searching for all the things. We're running down all the leads to do all of the things. When all we have to do is stand before him. Look as if we're looking into a mirror and we have to begin to manifest our destiny and say, man, that, that is who I am. I, I, I know today, man, I'm, I'm ugly in my sin, but man, that's who I am. I'm looking at the image of my father and I'm, I'm being transformed from his glory to the glory, which is the righteousness of God. Yeah. I, so many times, it's so much easier to run off and search all the other places than it is to just stop and look yourself in a mirror. Isn't that the hardest place to look? Because we assume that all of our problems are caused by other people that aren't in that mirror. By everybody else. We don't know who, but it's everybody else other than that person that I'm looking at. We live in the new covenant. We're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And here's the kicker. Here's the last thing to know. It's not by your work, by your will, by your might, by your strength. He says this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's only by surrendering your life to the power, the ministry, and the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot make yourself who you're supposed to be. You, you can't read enough Bible. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. You, you can't do it. It's only by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to end, end with just a time to respond. I felt like maybe, maybe if we just took a moment we're, and just said, man, Father, is there any area where I'm trying to get there with religion? Where I'm trying to do it on my own? Where, I, where I've deferred my relationship with God to other people to speak into me instead of allowing him to speak into me. So is there any area where, where religion has hold o- over you? And the, is there any area that you need to just stop and look in the mirror and allow the Father to transform you by looking at him? So we're, we're going to close with that prayer.